What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. The truth is that we are in a climate emergency. We have less than 10 years to make substantial changes to our society and way of life and our economy. I want to stress from the outset that this pandemic is far from over. Those who have never fought for the colors they fly should be careful about criticizing those who have. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. Well, the energy crisis seems to be worsening. Wholesale gas prices have been surging and the government now thinks that more than five to eight energy companies could go under this winter. The next few days are going to be quite challenging. That, according to the business secretary, Kwasi Kwarteng, who has announced uh, that he will meet with small energy suppliers today. Now, the business secretary has also confirmed that the government is looking at state-backed loans for the biggest suppliers to take on customers from smaller energy companies if they fail. But the price cap for gas will stay in place and Kwarteng does not want to spend taxpayers' money on failing energy companies. Kwarteng has insisted that there's no question of the lights going out. People should be able to find pricing which is very much in line with their old Uh, on their old tariff. We've got to wait and see how many of the suppliers are affected. Clearly, there's a world of difference if, as is usually the case, five to eight suppliers exit the market or if if it's more than that. So the business secretary, Kwasi Kwarteng, there speaking this morning. Well, joining me now is Ben Lake, who is Plaid Cymru MP for Kerry Digion. Uh, Good morning. Thanks for being with us, Ben. Let's first talk about what's going on in terms of energy supplies in the UK. There's a big concern, obviously, the nights are beginning to draw in a little. Now, you asked a parliamentary question yesterday about the national grid and its action on this, as well as um, reinvesting its pre-tax profits. Were you happy with the response from the business secretary? Well, it, it was good in the first instance to, to hear the business secretary acknowledge that the um, the loss of the IFA interconnector last week um, has dealt a, a serious blow uh, to the UK energy network. Um, and it has meant that, in practice, our ability to import electricity from France in particular has been effectively halved um, in, in a week, uh, which, of course, means that we're more dependent then on, on, on gas. Um, and and the and vulnerable therefore to the to the hike uh, in the prices that we've we've been talking about. Um, so it's good in the first instance that they're acknowledging the problem. Um, it also seemed, uh, at least from the answer that I received from the business secretary, that they are in talks with National Grid because although one understands that accidents happen and um, we'll have to await the full investigation and its findings to understand what exactly happened to cause the fire uh, which knocked the interconnector offline. You know, it does. Mm-hmm strike me as, as uh, quite a big issue that we could be so dependent on, um, I think it's just two interconnectors to, to, to mainland Europe, and that such a fire could come about and to knock it out offline for, well, at the moment, an undetermined uh, period of time. You know, it, it does strike me as, it's a, as though it's a key piece of uh, national infrastructure, and uh, you'd like to think that 
uh, these accidents, if when they do arise, can be contained mm-hmm. and um, that any disruption is minimised. So yeah. I think I'll, it is something that I'll have to pursue further um, because, I, I, as I mentioned in the House of Commons yesterday, um, the, the pre-tax profits of the national grid do seem to be reasonably healthy um, and we need to see now how they plan to invest that um, uh, some of that uh, funds in yeah. ensuring resilience of the, of the network, especially. So this is, and um, of course, you're talking about the cable, there. basically, aren't you? The cable that links yeah. the UK to France in terms of energy supplies. Now, National Grid, um, Bloomberg reporting, saying late on Monday that half of the capacity um, from this line between the UK and France will resume operations on the 23rd of October. So we do know that. Um, half of of that energy will resume, although that is a month later than sort of had previously been thought. But yes, so I take your point about the reliance on of the UK on um, on the cable that links uh, Britain to France in terms of energy supplies. But also, you know, this is a much broader problem, isn't it? Um, European countries also face a similar uh, rise in gas prices and a squeeze on on energy prices. Um, it's not just this, you know, one latest kind of disaster. Can the Welsh Government do anything in particular to help when it comes to energy price increases this winter? I think in terms of this winter itself, probably no. Um, you know, the Welsh Government's ability um, to, to invest in, in Wales's energy network is, is limited in that it, it can't really um, affect any changes to the grid infrastructure. Um, and, and what it can do, I suppose, is to, to support um, energy generation projects. And, of course, they will take time. And, and I'm afraid we need to be realistic in that um, some of these measures are very unlikely to be able to, to mitigate the challenge uh, facing households now um, this winter. What perhaps could be done, um, both on a UK government level and on a Welsh government level, is to look at supporting those households, particularly those vulnerable households who are already seeing a squeeze on their, their incomes. Um, I've uh, heard it being said now by a number of, of other MPs that uh, the cost of living crisis. And I think when we consider um, some of the business secretary's words, actually, in terms of his uh, expectations of this winter and the pressure just from energy mm. bills, um, then I think it's very uh, apt for us to be t- starting to term these, uh, this issue as a, a bit of a, a crisis for households. And so what the Welsh Government can do, of course, is to uh, to look at ways of offering greater support to households, particularly those on lower incomes, because we know that um, from research conducted by the Bevan Foundation that 6% of households in Wales are already um, in arrears on, on utility bills. Um, now, that, that's a considerable amount of, of households in, in Wales. Um, they should be at the very beginning of our, uh, very front, sorry, of our efforts to, mm-hmm. to, to front-load support. Uh, and from the UK government's point of view, I think I'm not novel in what I'm saying here now. It's been said a number of times yesterday in the House of Commons, if we are expecting, and as the Business Secretary has made clear, um, these higher prices to be perhaps uh, in place for, for longer than expected, mm. uh, previously expected, um, then we must revisit uh, the idea of, of uh, discontinuing the uh, uplift universal credit, um, which will kick in very soon. Um, I okay. think it, it just makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and I would expect, actually, that um, we'll find some changes to this policy now before the before the, um, the the expected cut k- kicks in. Okay, but difficult for the for the government to pick up um, the bill on all of these fronts on universal credit. Um, do you think um, that the price cap on on energy should be lifted? Because in a way, the government wants 
wants it every which way. You know, they want more suppliers, more choice for the customer, plus the price cap in place, but also good and stable supply for people. I mean, in an environment where energy prices are rising, then you have this kind of, I mean, I guess perhaps a perfect storm. Do you think that the price cap should be lifted in terms of, you know, so that more energy companies don't go bust? It's it's a difficult one, but I think uh, one point I would probably find myself in agreement with the government and Ofgem is that the price cap needs to stay in place. If, if the government's position is to continue with um, policies such as, as you know the, the scrapping of the universal credit uplift, uh, these are the very households that will benefit mm. uh, and be protected um, by the, the price cap. And so, if if they're not to, to find their um, universal credit support being maintained at its current level. Um, then the government just simply has to keep the, the price cap in, in place. You're right, okay. however, that has consequences, and then the consequences there may well be. Um, the uh, the worst-case scenario for the government is that you have a, only a handful of, of large uh, energy companies left by the time uh, we, we get to the spring. Um, I think for the government, the, the big question here is whether or not they accept that this is going to be um, a transition phase, really, that the long term that the, the energy supply um, and the energy network will move away from uh, from gas in particular and, and whether they uh, just accept that this is an exceptional um, set of events. You, you referred earlier yes. to the fact that, you know, it's been a, a, a well, an unusually cold uh, beginning to, to the autumn in some parts of Europe and Asia, coupled yeah. with uh, the resumption of economic activity has meant that energy demand has, has um, skyrocketed in a way that few people really um, envisaged back even two or three months ago. Um, so if they accept that this is an exceptional circumstance, an episode that they just have to absorb the cost um, to protect um, those on the, on the lowest incomes and, and households that are struggling the most. Um, and uh, yeah, if that does so mean offering tricky. government support to, to energy companies, then I think it must be, it, it has to be considered. And okay. uh, with, of course, um, perhaps uh, I think uh, the business secretary has has been very clear to, to make it uh, that, that any support will be on a, a loan basis. Um, sort of quite con- quite conditional. Case, ben, I want to get you on uh, to another subject, though, because um, it's not just the energy crisis. There's also still COVID there. Is the Welsh Government, um, which is sticking to a more cautious approach on COVID than other UK nations, is that still the best way forwards? And is it the right time you know, to introduce vaccine passports in Wales? So... In terms of the first question, I, I think that it is, uh, with anything, when it comes to uh, to people's health, it's, it's always wise to, to be following the science and to, and to pursue a more uh, precautionary principle. Um, uh, and I think the Welsh Government should be commended for that. Um, there have certainly been issues over the, over the last 18 months that perhaps my party and theirs would have disagreed uh, in terms of uh, some of the detail of the approach, but the general um, approach and, and, and the way in which uh, the government has sought to prioritise people's health over all the considerations is probably to be to be welcomed. As for the um, COVID passports, I, I think it's a bit of a, a tricky one in that <sighs> The Welsh Government has, has announced that um, they'll be uh, introducing these passports for certain um, circumstances, you know, mainly the, the larger uh, gatherings, the kind of indoor concerts and what have you. Um, now, if we are to be 
if we are to believe some of the um, warnings that are now being issued in some parts of Wales where cases of, of coronavirus sadly have, have increased again uh, in recent weeks, um, then one needs to start to, to consider whether or not some of these larger gatherings are, are um, a good idea in themselves. Now, I okay. certainly would like to... Uh, to, to, to think that uh, we won't get to that point. But uh, the Welsh Government, I think, does need to explain better how these COVID passports will actually help uh, prevent uh, you know, mass spreading events. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Let's talk about what else is making news in the world of politics. The Defence Secretary, Ben Wallace, has launched an investigation into a data breach involving the email addresses of dozens of Afghan interpreters who worked for British forces. More than 250 people seeking relocation to Britain were mistakenly copied into an email from the Ministry of Defence. That's according to a report from the BBC. Many are in hiding in Afghanistan, causing concern that they could be at risk. Meanwhile, it's no job seekers paradise out there. A new report from the Institute for Fiscal Studies shows job opportunities remain below pre-pandemic levels for a quarter of the workforce here in Britain. A surge in overall vacancies to record levels has been entirely driven by low paying occupations, according to the IFS. And surging inflation is emerging as a big headache for the Chancellor Rishi Sunak as he tries to reduce the pandemic bloated budget deficit. So debt interest costs the Treasury almost £19 billion in the last three months uh, as it became more expensive to service bonds that are tied to retail price is, uh, index. And that accounts for about a quarter of all government debt. And just lastly, soft drinks makers have only a few days of carbon dioxide left in reserve to produce beverages after two of the biggest fertiliser plants that supply the gas ceased operations indefinitely. Worse still, Britain can't import supplies from the EU due to Brexit, one of the fallouts from the energy crisis. Well, let's discuss that because the headlines this morning will make worrying reading for Downing Street. Energy firms left to collapse. Energy crisis set to drive up the cost of living. Winter of discontent. Well, the government has been swift to try to reassure Britain that the lights won't go out. But there are genuine concerns about rising prices and the social impact. We're going to discuss that now and what it means for fuel poverty in a moment. Firstly, though, what's behind the crisis and what can be done to alleviate it. Joining me now is Amy Ambrose, who's Professor of Energy Policy at Sheffield Hallam University and Chair of the Fuel Poverty Research Network. Amy, welcome to the programme. 
look, the energy price surge is a global issue. Johnson's been quick to try to shrug it off. But there are domestic issues around this. Why has the UK been particularly hard hit? Yeah, we're particularly vulnerable to um, this crisis in in gas prices because we've got a lack of diversity of of energy sources in this country. So about 95% of households in the UK rely on gas um, to heat their homes. About 40% of our overall energy, including our electricity uh, generation needs, come from from natural gas. Um, Another 40% come from renewables and the remaining amount come from nuclear. So we're heavily dependent on gas. Also, we're quite dependent on gas as what's known as a bridging fuel. So to to bridge the gap between the the worst fossil fuels, such as coal, and our transition to more um, renewable, low-carbon sources. So... We're heavily invested in in gas. And also where this is happening at the end of the summer when, um, for example, lots of power plants, particularly nuclear plants, have a shutdown for a maintenance period. So we've got low output from them and we've also got low output from renewables because it's just not been very windy at the moment. And perhaps Mm. also we're a bit too dependent on wind power in this country um, with a lack of other renewable options. Okay, so that's the sort of perfect storm hitting the UK. Mm. How big a problem is fuel poverty in in Britain? I mean, that's also kind of an odd term in and of itself, isn't it? It is a bit, and it's um, it's fairly self-explanatory in some ways. So fuel poverty really refers to people being unable to afford to heat their home to a a safe and healthy um, level. Um, And we have some of the worst levels of fuel poverty in the world um, actually in, in the UK. Um, and we've got about three, depending how you measure fuel poverty, it can be measured in lots of different ways. Um, but we have around three and a half billion households in fuel poverty. Um, and that number has risen by about 600,000 households as a result of the financial pressures of the pandemic and spending more time at home and needing to use um, more energy as a result mm. of that. So we're seeing a massive increase in fuel poverty at the moment, and this crisis is only going to deepen that um, experience of fuel poverty for, for households already in it, and it's going to push more people into fuel poverty as well. And this is obviously why it surged um, to the list of priorities for the government. They say that they're going to make sure there's enough supply, that they'll protect people from rising fuel bills, but also that they won't bail out failing energy companies. Um, can they do all of it? What are they going to prioritise? Well, if they do have to prioritise, um, they've absolutely got to prioritise um, the most vulnerable low-income households among us who are facing at the moment. They've got rising energy prices, reducing universal credit levels and um, rapidly rising inflation. So these households are really being squeezed. But they've also got to pay attention to the households that are sometimes referred to as just about managing, so are on the margin. Um, of being tipped into to fuel poverty. So they've also got to pay attention um, to those households too. Mm. Do you think that the government should allow the price cap on energy prices to be removed? That's something the energy companies are, are perhaps pushing for. Absolutely not. I mean, that's the only protection we've really got in place to protect us from these kinds of shocks and and price surges. And it's already been diluted. So um, before this crisis even emerged, households were were facing around a £100 increase in in their energy bills per year as a result of the raising uh, of the price cap. So absolutely, that that cannot be removed um, 
at all. But, you know, yeah. y- you couldn't uh, contemplate that at a time like this. Amy, thank you so much for your time, for your insight. Amy Ambrose, Professor of Energy Policy at Sheffield Hallam University and Chair of the Fuel Poverty Research Network. Well, joining me now is Anna Stevenson, who is a welfare benefits specialist at Turn to Us, which is a charity that helps people in financial need, uh, helping them to get access to financial help. So what really is the impact um, on so many vulnerable people Anna, thanks for being with us. So you heard from Amy there that she does not think that the fuel price cap should be lifted at all. But you've also got the possibility of the £20 uplift in terms of universal credit going. The overall impact on the families that you see, talk to and try to help, that could be quite significant, couldn't it? I mean, this is really concerning. When we surveyed people about how they expected the um, the end of the £20 uplift to affect them, 44% of people told us that they were worried that they wouldn't be able to pay their fuel bill. And this was before any of the news came out about the gas prices crisis. So this is really, really a huge concern for people. Yeah. Uh, fuel poverty is not is not necessarily a phenomenon in itself. It is a symptom of the fact that far, far too many households in the UK don't have the money they need to live a uh- comfortable uh, civilized life, and is too many people, families know. Anna, sorry, is this is this people and families um, of working age? Is this predominantly something for people on lower incomes or older people? What does it span in terms of impact? Uh, I mean, fuel poverty does affect the the whole of the UK, um, you know, right across the age groups. But there is more support for pension age people. The warm home discount scheme is significantly um, more um, effective for pension age people. The warm home discount scheme is a scheme that's run by energy suppliers that gives money off your bills. There is a working age equivalent, but that is every year very significantly oversubscribed and many people who would qualify for it nonetheless don't get that help whereas pension age people do get more support with it um okay so then what would be the argument that actually the jobs market is buoyant right now that there are jobs out there that perhaps people would be um you know better off um uh, you know trying to find better paid work wages are going up um I should say that um, a very large number of people in universal credit are in work. Um, this, this isn't a, an issue of, of out-of-work people. And to um, increase your earnings by enough to make up for the £20, the loss of the £20 increase would take many working people many, many hours of additional work per week that often isn't available to them. It's not simply that the work isn't, you know, there are jobs in the market, but they might not be where people are. They might not fit around their caring responsibilities. Mm. There are a lot of complex barriers, which are the reasons people aren't always working as many hours as they would like to. Anna, what if you could make the case to Rishi Sunak to keep that £20 uplift in universal credit in place, and, and it is, again, becoming a very visible issue, what would you say to the Chancellor? I'd say that he did the right thing when he recognised at the beginning of the pandemic that our out-of-work benefits, 
our working age benefits have not been enough to live on for a long time. He recognised that and he put that support in place when he knew that large numbers of additional people were moving into the benefit system. But the fact is that some of those people will be within the benefit system for a long time and that support is really, really helping people. Keeping that uplift in place is the right thing to do. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.